Appreciate it. We sure is great to be back, and uh, we love you and are always glad when we get to come back home to liberal Kansas. Uh, Go in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, and we'll be there here in a few moments. Um, Pastor Tyler has asked me to speak on the topic of marriage, and so if you are not married here today or fall outside of that, then you get to listen and you get to nod your head and you get to agree and support uh, the things that these couples that are here today uh, will hopefully benefit from, from the Word of God. If you're a teenager here this morning, uh, there's some notes for you to take for future reference that can hopefully be a help to you as you uh, get into that mindset of what God's expectations are for you moving forward into the future when it comes to marriage. Um, Pastor Tyler mentioned the platform that we use for getting out a lot of what God uh, has allowed us to do by way of helping families, and most of that is centralized on godlyparent.com. And so if you'd like to check that out at any time, uh, you can see what we offer weekly for the family and for uh, marriage on that site. Uh, I brought a picture of uh, my wife and I that I'd like to show you to start off this morning. And this is a picture of when we first came uh, to liberal Kansas. It really does seem like yesterday that my new bride at that time and I packed up a U-Haul. We headed uh, west to a tiny little town unknown on the map to us called liberal Kansas. And it was a place that we'd have never known um, at the time, would have become uh, a piece of our hearts forever right here. You know, we didn't have much. We didn't know much. Uh, We were just two kids who knew we were in love, knew that God had called us to ministry. I can remember the excitement of this day as we started out on this journey of marriage and ministry together. And I can still remember, like it was yesterday, how that excitement quickly turned to tears for us. In our living room at 213 West Walnut, as our families drove away, and for the first time, we were met face-to-face with the reality that we were far from home, and we were all that each other had. It was a sobering moment. We stood there in our living room, and we hugged, we cried, we prayed for a while as we started our lives together on our own. That was 21 years ago, this coming month. And there have been a lot of things that we've learned about marriage, a lot of things we've learned both biblically and practically. And I would never say that we have a perfect marriage, but it has been a great marriage. And I'm thankful for my wife and what God has given us. And I hope to share some of the things that we've learned that maybe help to you and to your marriage today. And specifically this thought, how to love happily ever after. A lot of marriages exist instead of excel. They simply survive instead of thriving as God intended. And what once started as exuberant young love easily turns into nothing more than the old hat of everyday life. Two people coexisting, living life together till death do us part. Because, well, that's what we signed up for, right? And we're going to do it, even if for no other reason than to, to, to do it because we made a promise and we know it's the right thing to do. I can clearly remember as a boy the love that my grandparents had for each other, especially in um, their older years as they aged, they struggled with poor health. Their unwavering love and commitment to each other was gratefully impactful on me. But I also remember how there were many times they could hardly stand each other. They regularly got on each other's last nerve to no end with their petty squabbles, things that really didn't matter. In fact, even as a child, it was hard not to sit back and just chuckle at their childish pettiness at times. 
in the little ways that they would intentionally push each other's buttons. Have you ever had grandparents, maybe parents, maybe even yourself here today, who pushed each other's buttons in your marriage? My wife and I celebrated 21 years of marriage this past week. Sometimes I catch us doing the same thing. And the thing that I saw my grandparents do, or even my own parents do, uh, pushing those buttons, and I have to remind myself what I learned from my grandparents' love, both the good and the bad, because while every marriage faces its struggles and challenges, God never intended for a husband and wife to experience a mundane existence of simply living happily ever after. The problem with the phrase living happily ever after is that it always seems to be the living part that gets in the way. Life has a natural way of taking its toll on us, and especially in a marriage. However, I think God designed for us not so much to live happily ever after as much as to love happily ever after. God established uh, the institution of marriage, and he never did so for it to be something we just do, but for it to be something that we actually enjoy. And yet in many marriages, Christian marriages included, where two people are just pushing their way through, sometimes joy is the last thing that you'd be able to find. But if we as couples were to strive intentionally, not with each other, but simply uh, to fulfill our marital obligations, but if we strove intentionally to really truly love one another the way God intended through marriage, could it be possible that we not just live together, but that we love happily ever after? Can couples that have been married for 10, 20, 30, 50 plus years still be madly in love? And it be obvious to them and to others by the way they interact? I, for one, believe that while this idea of loving happily ever after is a lost art in our world today in many marriages, it is still not only possible but promising for the best marriage we could ever hope to have. And a big part of that success in a marriage is found in the start of a marriage. If you go back to the beginning of Scripture in Genesis chapter 2, the Bible says that God made the woman from man's rib and brought her to the man. And it was an immediate wow moment as Adam is awestruck. He instantly took to Eve, calling her bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. And in the following verses, we see the first marriage ceremony that takes place as Adam and Eve become husband and wife one flesh in the presence of God. If you're married, there was that moment for you. There was that wow moment or many moments where you experienced the fireworks between you and your spouse and the way you treated each other and the way you looked at each other and the way that you made each other feel was out of this world. And it was a good thing. You had won each other's hearts and even your mamas couldn't convince you otherwise. And you know some of your mamas tried. But as the years increased, or maybe the children, maybe so did the familiarity, the complacency, the lack of passion or fire that once used to describe your love for each other. And regardless of where you find yourself in your marriage, let me encourage you to strive for the win or maybe the re-win of your your spouse's heart. And I'm going to give you a few key ways to do that this morning that I think it will be helpful to you in loving happily ever after. If you're taking notes, it'll be helpful for you, especially when we get towards the end, because I will rapid fire a lot of different um, keys for you that you'll want to reference back to. Three things we see in Ephesians chapter 5, and I'd like for us to read the verses, uh, verse 25 down through verse 33. 
The Bible says, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord, the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself and the wife see that she reverence her husband. There are three things I'd like for us to point out in this passage and three things that hopefully will be uh, simple enough for you to remember long term. And those three things are this. In marriage, the key to loving happily ever after is found in wooing your spouse, in wowing your spouse, and in winning your spouse's heart. And this is specifically directed in this passage to the men. Although what we're going to talk about can apply to both men and women in the marriage, it is important for us to recognize that, men, this starts with us. And we have to take the lead in these things. And the first thing is that we are to woo them. Verse 25 says, Husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Men, you can still remember the day that you realized that you would die for this woman. You can remember the days when you intentionally wooed your spouse. They intentionally wooed you. And it came so easily as you were consumed with them and your thoughts and your dreams for the future. And that look, that touch, um, that kindness that came just so natural and meant so much. And yet... Your infatuation made those things flow freely without thinking about it much. You know, you would take your spouse out to eat and you'd say, honey, where do you want to eat? And I just want to please you, baby. And she said, well, no, you just choose where we eat because man, I just want to please you, baby. And no, honey, you're more important to me than anything else in the world. Just tell me where you want to eat. And you go back and forth and argue about where to eat, right? And nowadays, it's more like, like it or lump it, we're going to Applebee's, hop in, let's go. (laughs) And you know, it seems more like work now to woo our spouse. And you couldn't be more right that many spouses stop working at wooing each other intentionally, and they're not willing to put forth the effort. But the good news is that wooing your spouse is still possible for anyone who's willing to work for it. Remember to treat your spouse like the person you fell in love with and still are. And one of the ways you do that is to make your spouse the apple of your eye. From the moment that Adam laid eyes on Eve, she became the apple of his eye. In our text, it reminds us that the apple of Christ's eye is us, the church. But for with, with many in marriage... The apple of our eye can quickly become something other than our spouse. It might be a job, a hobby, a ministry, uh, even our children or another person other than our spouse. Your spouse needs to become so big to you that they are the shiniest and most important apple of your eye. Second only to God, your spouse is to be the most important person in your life. They are the one and only thing in your life that should get the best of your time, attention, and love. 
One of the easiest ways to find out if this is happening in your marriage is to simply ask the question. Ask your mate, ask your wife or your husband, do you feel like I make you number one to me? That you are prioritized to me? And it's a great way to gauge where you're at on this. And let me say that you ought never apologize for putting your spouse before your children. This is where the marital drift often takes place is during the parenting years. And before you know it, you've got two people who once fell in love, but who've barely even find the time to know one another anymore. They've become coaches of the team, but they've forgotten how to be lovers of each other. And sadly, one of the greatest marriage killers to loving happily ever after is misplaced focus in marriage. And this often happens when the children become greater priority than the marriage. However, this cannot happen if we purposefully keep our spouses the apple of our eye. I'm encouraged to see that your church does activities for married people, where you have these married people's nights out or other things that allow you to get couples together. I was encouraged last night to be a part of a connection group activity where couples got together and they encouraged both one another and they encouraged my wife and I by our presence there last night. And it's encouraging to see couples prioritizing their relationships. First Corinthians chapter seven, uh, verse 33 and 34 says, but he that is married careth for how he may please his wife. So uh, she that is married careth for how she may please her husband. You know, this can be carried out tangibly in how we talk to them, how we treat them, how we prioritize them with our time. Let me encourage you to regularly woo your spouse close to you. It takes work. It takes intentionality. It takes pursuing your spouse uh, like they are actually the most important person that God has placed in your life because they are. We see, secondly, that we are also encouraged to wow them, if we can call it that, in verse 28, where it says, So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. Men, we are to love our wives as much as we love ourselves. That is a tall order. I can remember on our wedding day that one of the special phrases that we used was this, Today I will marry my best friend. You know, marriage is an act of two best friends living one life together. And just like the early days of your love relationship, surprising and serving your spouse regularly with things that you know they enjoy should be an ongoing part of being best friends. Why is it that 50% of marriages end in divorce, even within the church? Oftentimes it's because one or more persons in the marriage stop surprising and serving their mate. And they start looking for that wow feeling again in either fresh romance or in adventure elsewhere. It's really a simple principle to learn within our marriage that we learn to water our own grass. And we make it so good within our own marriage that nothing else would be as appealing as what we have in each other. You know, it's a wonderful thing to be intentional about meeting each other's needs and speaking each other's love language in both familiar and out-of-the-box ways within marriage. My wife and I have completely different love languages. For me, my love language is get over here, baby, and let me get my hands all over you. (laughs) But for my wife, she says, I don't want you to just tell me that you love me. 
I want you to show me that you love me. I need you to show those acts of kindness to me that speak my love language. How can you wow your spouse today? One of the great and simple ways to simply to learn to do the things that matter most to them. Figure out what their love language is. And I'll tell you right now, this alone can transform your marriage if you don't know your spouse's love language. And once you find out what it is, you begin loving them according to how they speak and translate love. Because in many marriages, we're trying to speak love to our spouse in the way that we want love spoken to us. And that doesn't work because they don't see it as love. It's very important you find out how your spouse wants to be loved and learn to love them in that way. And then never stop celebrating your love. What God gave to you in a spouse, he gave you something very special. He gave you a gift that you were extremely excited about opening and enjoying both on your wedding day and for the rest of your life. And the good news is that God never intended for that to stop once you got married. Here are a few practical reminders of how to add the wow back into your marriage as you celebrate your love. Number one, celebrate by creating special moments. Just enjoying life together. You would think this would come naturally for most couples, that we would just enjoy life together. But let's be real. After the first few years, it often takes some intentional work to prioritize each other with our attention, our words, and our heart. Make memories that are unique to you. Put the, be- the kids to bed early one night every week. Go out on those date nights. Spend that time doing the nothingness together. Make your marriage the greatest earthly relationship that God meant it to be. Another thing you can do to celebrate your love is to celebrate by just having fun together intentionally. I asked my wife recently, I said, what's something fun or enjoyable that we could start to do together that will outlast our kids after they're still at home? Because we're in a phase where we're in the middle of, you know, two of our kids now heading off or being at college and a few of our kids still being at home. And, you know, it's very easy to get overwhelmed with parenting. And that becomes the focus of the entire marriage. You know, my wife and I enjoy date nights and fun times together, but said, what could we do as a hobby or something else that maybe we could start getting into to be able to make that transition to where we don't want to become roommates after the kids leave, right? We want to make sure that we're prioritizing having fun together. You know, this shouldn't be hard to believe, but couples that have fun together actually enjoy their marriage a whole lot more than those who don't. However, many couples aren't experiencing regular fun in their relationship, and it takes its toll. Healthy couples prioritize spending time together. In his book, The Seven Principles for Making Marriage Work, Dr. John Gottman said this, quote, the simple truth is that happy marriages are based on a deep friendship. By this, I mean a mutual respect for and enjoyment of each other's company. So very true. Spend time together. Here's another one that we'll mention, and I had planned on saying a little bit more about this one, but now that we have all of us in here, I will condense it. (laughs) Celebrate what God has given you through intimacy. Make sex a priority. Just like a great party heightens your senses, sometimes all at the same time. The music, the food, the fun. Listen, God intended your marriage to be one of the greatest ongoing parties of your lifetime. Marriage can be tough. 
including some struggles and difficulty, but there needs to be regular times of celebration. Marriage is a party. Sex is the celebration. Celebrate regularly. Next, celebrate through working together as a team because teamwork makes the dream work. It's so true. Good marriages take work. Great marriages take a lot of work. It's not easy being married to another sinner, but you're both in the same boat and you're both married to an imperfect mate. God has given you each other to make one another better. So ask these questions. Are you learning from one another? What are you learning from one another? Um, Are you allowing your spouse to point out areas of needed growth in your life spiritually and practically? Here's a big one. Are you walking in the spirit in your marriage to where the spirit of God is over your responses? And are things that are um, coming out of the spirit, the fruit of the spirit, are they evident in your relationship with your spouse? There's a reason that Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 through 21 that precedes our text this morning actually does so because it precedes the importance of marriage with the principle of being filled with the Spirit. I don't think that's by accident. Marriage requires us to walk in the Spirit unlike possibly anything else in life. Are you teachable? Are you coachable? Are you a team player? Or do you always have to be right? Think about this. No one else in your life has your best interest at heart more than your spouse. No one knows your blind spots better than your spouse. And so when they want to speak into your life, it's very important that you listen with open ears and an open heart to say, you know what? I may not like to hear it, but if they feel it necessary to say to me, there's going to be truth in it. And I need to be willing to accept it and grow from it. You remember that God gave you a spouse to complete you, which includes both complementing your strengths and exposing your weaknesses. Good teams celebrate their differences because it's what makes them successful. Good marriages do the same. And then don't forget that thriving families are usually the product of thriving couples. As weird as it may sound, one of the best ways for you to bless your children is to focus on improving your relationship with your spouse. Because the closer that you grow as a couple, the more your children are sure to notice and to benefit as well. There's an important reason why chapter 6, verses 1 through 4 are about parenting that follows our text at the end of chapter 5, speaking of marriage. And that is because great parenting is built on the foundation of great marriages. And so it's very important that we understand that our marriage matters so much to the success of our home. The number one way to guarantee that your children will have a successful marriage someday is to model one for them now. Your kids are watching what matters to you. The way you treat your spouse shows what's in your heart. And if our kids see that the way mom and dad treat each other publicly is different than how they interact privately, they're going to notice that. And if what we say doesn't match who we are, our kids will suffer from that. We are never more authentic with anyone more than those we are closest to. Your kids are also learning from you what you value. The way you treat your spouse reveals their value to you. You know, we naturally prioritize and praise what we value, and our kids see this. A dad should regularly praise his wife in front of the family. I was reminded of this story. You may have heard it before. It's called the burnt toast story. 
where a daughter said, one evening my mother made dinner after a very long and hard day's work. She put a plate of eggs and some extremely burnt toast in front of my father. I immediately noticed, especially the burnt toast. And I was waiting to see if dad was going to complain about it, but my father started to eat them, smiled, and asked how I spent my day at school. My mom apologized to my dad for the burnt toast. She said, I'll never forget my dad's response. Honey, I love burnt toast. Later, when I went to bed and my dad came over to kiss me goodnight, I asked him if he really liked burnt toast. He hugged me and said, your mother's had a very difficult day at work. She's very tired. She went out of her way to prepare this meal for us. And besides, burnt toast never hurt anyone. But harsh words can be very painful. In our lives, as husbands, as wives, it's very important that we are living in marriage with a spirit of grace. And it will make a huge difference, not only for our spouse, but for our children as well. Kids should see us as dads serving mom. It's okay for men to help with the household chores. All the women secretly said, amen. May we never give our children this wrong impression that the name mom is synonymous with the word maid or the mindset, well, that's just her job to do those things. On the flip side of the coin, a mother should frequently encourage her husband in front of her children. You know, this might be creating anticipation for when dad gets home or looking for small ways to make him feel respected and loved in front of the family. Kids know how to measure value. They know when they feel valued by a coach. They know when they feel valued by a teacher or by their friends because of how they're treated. And kids also know value in the home when they see it. The Bible says in Proverbs 31, 28, her children arise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praiseth her. It's important to remember that our kids are imitating what we do. The way that we treat our spouse is what our children will grow up to believe is normal, whether for the good or the bad. I have a friend who recently told me this. Uh, He said, never let what you saw or how you were treated bleed through to your family now. And he's speaking of this in the negative. He says, I struggle with this all the time with my temper and sometimes disrespect. There is no excuse, just remorse and heavy praying when I realize my actions, end quote. You know, I say it so often in parenting uh, to families because it rings so true that more than your kids will become what you say, they will become who you are. Kids are the great imitators. So let's give them something great to imitate. As much as we need to be wowing our spouse, our kids need to see us wowing our spouse on a regular basis, and that definitely involves grossing our kids out every now and then. If you haven't grossed out your kids recently, you're probably not doing it right. Number three, and that's to win them, to win them. Look at the end of the chapter, verses 31 and 33 says, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. You know, the greatest need of a wife is to feel loved. You know what God's command is to us as men? To unconditionally love our wives. The greatest need that a man has is to feel respected by his wife. And women, do you know that the greatest command God gives us here is for women to respect their husbands in an unconditional way. This is called uh, by Emerson Egerich, who wrote the book Love and Respect. It's called The Crazy Cycle. 
And the crazy cycle is that when a man does not feel respected by his wife and a wife does not feel unconditionally loved by her husband, that they refuse to give each other what they most need. That I'm not going <laughs> to unconditionally love her when she won't give me respect. And I'm not going to uh, respect him when I don't feel loved. And this cycle continues in a marriage. Remember this, if you're not wooing or wowing your spouse, then you're not striving to win their heart. And sadly, it is very likely that someone or something else will. It may not be a someone that pulls them into an affair or adultery. It may be a something like a hobby where they just go, they're just not there. They go off the map in the marriage. Just don't be deceived. Just because we've won our spouse's heart years ago doesn't mean that we can't lose it now. Men, find ways to wow your spouse, your wife, and open the car door for her every now and then. Do those dishes. Put the kids to bed. Finish the honey-do list. Buy the flowers. Take her out on that date. Tell her she's beautiful, how much you love her. Women, wow your husband. Fix yourself up for him beautifully, specifically for him. Wear that outfit he loves. Make him that favorite meal. Give attention to his personal preferences. Turn him on in a way that only you can. Never stop speak, seeking to win your spouse's heart. Make it a lifelong endeavor, just like your marriage. Now, here's some practical ways to do this. We're almost out of time, and if you have a pen and paper, write some of these things down. Number one, one of the ways that you can wow your spouse in fulfilling the commands of these final verses of chapter 5 are to keep accounts small with each other. It's very important. According to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27, let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. And when the button starts, buttons start getting pushed more frequently, it's time that you have some of the tough but necessary conversations. Rather than just brushing those things off or under the rug and hoping that they'll go away, put your big boy pants on and address them. Do what needs to be done to deal with things in your marriage that need to be dealt with. Successful communication is key to successful companionship in any marriage. Next, be willing to forgive. Success in one word for your marriage is going to be found in forgiveness. Because if you fail to keep your accounts small, your problems will become very big very quickly. However, if you always refuse to keep score through regular acts of forgiveness and openness, those accounts stay small. Proverbs 26.20 reminds us that where no wood is, the fire goes out. In many marriages, the wood of annoyance, bitterness, resentment builds to the point that it eventually erupts in a fiery inferno. It leaves damage and destruction behind in its path. And this is never God's will for your marriage. And it would never happen if we learn to keep accounts small with each other. When two sinners marry each other, guess who they're going to do most of their sinning against? each other. Remember that one of you, if you, if one of you wins an argument, both of you lose in the marriage because an argument, the goal of any, um, intense fellowship in your marriage is not to have a winner and a loser, but to seek out a resolution. You know, it's possible to be married and not, it is impossible to be married and not get offended or hurt. It's impossible to be successfully married and not to forgive. You have to learn to forgive. And let's be honest, four of the hardest sentences to say in any marriage are these. I'm sorry. I know that hurt. I was wrong. Will you please forgive me? 
Gary Thomas said this, quote, the times that I'm happiest and most fulfilled in my marriage are the times when I'm intent on drawing meaning and fulfillment from becoming a better husband rather than, than demanding a better wife. In one sense, it's comical. Yes, we need a changed partner, but the partner that needs to change is not our spouse, it's us, end quote. Many of us want our spouse to change, but we're unwilling to change ourselves. The way that my wife and I personally keep small accounts in our marriage is by what we simply call our open heart policy. And that's the next point, have an open heart policy. This is a policy that nothing is off limits for you to talk with each other about whenever needed, and the other person commits to listening without being defensive when you come to them and say, hey, I have something I need to talk about. And if you don't have this policy in your marriage, let me encourage you, go home today and establish it and say, yes, we'll agree that when we have something on our heart, we will come to each other and we will listen to each other and we will work out resolution. Because if you know there's a deep issue in your marriage, let me encourage you, don't wait too long to get help. We've seen this so many times in recent years that once marriages, we find out that marriages are in trouble and we offer help, it's often too late. And the reason it's too late is because these uh, couples, the husband or wife has already made their decision. Let me tell you, that's why the church is here. If you're struggling and you need help, don't wait till the point of just throwing in the towel. Ask for help now. And get the help you need to save your marriage. Another point, regularly pray together. It's really hard to be mad at somebody that you're praying with daily. It's even harder to want to divorce someone that you're praying with every night. Here's another one. Protect your spouse both in public and in private. Don't talk down about your spouse to others. And always keep private matters private. Here's another one. Surround yourself with other godly couples. One of the greatest things you can ever do to improve your marriage or your parenting is found in one word, and that is ask. Ask. Find that couple that you see is raising godly children or that has raised godly children and ask them if you can meet with them or take them out and have a list of questions and find out, what did you do? Because I am in the middle of a window of opportunity with my family or my marriage, and I don't want to mess it up. And I need to know what were your keys to success. There was a time in our lives where we uh, went on our, we took a year, and all of our monthly date nights, we tried to find different couples that we could go out with that were elderly couples. And we had a list of questions, and we asked them, hey, what about this, 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 this? And we learned so much by asking. And I guarantee you, the people you ask will be more than thrilled to invest into you and your marriage or your home. Loving happily ever after is not easy. Marriage takes a lot of heart work, but it's worth the work. And the question is, are we willing to do the work? Are we willing to woo our spouse, to wow our spouse, to win our spouse's heart? Because I can guarantee you this, not only will you and your spouse be glad you did, but your kids will as well if you still have children at home. Not only will your marriage be better, your home will be better for it. Because nothing speaks love louder to a child than when they see mom and dad loving each other. May God help us to woo, to wow, and to win the heart of our spouse. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity.